Hi and welcome to episode 153, no less, of the Photography Explained podcast. I'm your host, Rick, and in each episode, I will try to explain one photographic thing to you in plain English in less than 27 minutes-ish without the irrelevant details. What I tell you is based on my lifetime of photographic experience and not Google. Not in this episode. Nope, this is stuff that I know. Right then, here is the answer a bit. Exposure in photography is the amount of light that reaches the camera sensor when taking a photo. A correctly exposed image has captured the range of light in the scene correctly. An underexposed photo is too dark, with information not recorded in the shadows. An overexposed image is too light, with the information not recorded in the highlights. The exposure can be changed by changing the aperture, shutter and ISO. The relationship between the aperture, shutter and ISO is called the exposure triangle. Photographers must understand exposure to ensure we know how to take photos correctly. You should get the right exposure every time you take a photo. Okay, that's that. That was the answer bit. Here is the talky bit. This is important. This applies to every photo that you and I take. This is a photography fundamental and and these principles apply to any device used to take photos. That's digital cameras, film cameras and phones and anything else you might use to take a photo. The only variable is, is how you take the photos and what settings and adjustments are available to you. Let's not forget, photography is drawing with light and to do that correctly, you need the right amount of light. Well, makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, before I go on, I need to, I need to say something about this episode. The intention was that I was going to explain exposure in one episode. Now, I had a go at this when I had less than 10 minutes available in a previous episode, so no wonder I didn't explain it too well there. But no, there's too much to this, so, so this is what I'm going to do. In this episode, I'm going to tell you all the things that you need to know about exposure. And then next episode, I will cover how you get the correct exposure. So this one, this is the what and the why episode, and the next episode is the how episode. So why is this so important? Well, it's very important, and and I'll keep saying this because this is very important. Any level of competent photographer is expected to be able to get the exposure correct on any photo that they take. For, For Easy for me to say, for a professional photographer, it's just expected. You don't ask if someone's going to do it or not. It's expected, and that's it. Underexposed and overexposed photos are of no use to anybody. You have to get a proper exposure with every photo that you take. Underexposed and overexposed photos, they're just not acceptable. There is, there is one artistic caveat, obviously, and that is the only exception is if you are under or overexposing deliberately for creative effect. And um, yeah, you you can't take a rubbish photo which is under or overexposed and then say you're just being creative. It, it doesn't work like that. Okay, so th- this is an important thing, exposure. It sounds as dull as anything, but I'll I'll try and make it interesting for you, okay? So you can't get back what you don't have. What do I mean by this? Well, if you underexpose or overexpose a photo, you've missed some of the lights or the darks. You have not captured everything. Now, you can't get this back. If you've not got it, you've not got it. Now, I know there are things you can do, but the bottom line is, if you have not got the exposure correct, you have not captured all of what you are photographing. Well, you've not captured the range of lights and darks that you should be capturing. More on this later. 
I've spent a lot of time on this script and I just found my first typo. I spelled if wrong. <laughs> if. <laughs> Sorry, get a grip, Rick. <laughs> so, no, you've not captured the range of lights and darks that you should be capturing more on this later. And, of course, this, this can't ever be a good thing, can it? So this is important. Have I said this before? Sorry. It's important because if you don't get the exposure right, you have not taken the photo correctly and you might not get the photo that you intended. And worse still, there's nothing you can do about it after the event. Okay, okay, you can do all sorts of stuff with computers, but that is not the way it's meant to be. Fixing things in Photoshop is no substitute for getting it right in camera. Now, I know that sounds a bit old school and I've been called out for this many a time before. I once had feedback from somebody because I wrote an article about layers and why I don't use them and, and one person very angrily got back to me and said, how can you not use layers as a photographer? I've used layers to save my backside many a time over. And I thought, really? What does that actually mean? <laughs> so, yeah. Getting it right in camera. And that's not only exposure, that's focus, that's everything. Get it right in camera if you can do. Photography isn't about taking rubbish in camera and fixing it later. Photography is about getting the best photo you can, which I might have mentioned before, and enhancing what you've taken in Lightroom or Photoshop or your software of choice. Right, so what happens when I take a photo? Well, this is exposure related, obviously. When the shutter release button is pressed, the camera shutter opens, exposing the camera sensor to light. The amount of light that gets through to the camera sensor is controlled by the size of the opening in the camera lens, the aperture, and also how long the shutter is open. The camera, the camera sensor's easy for me to say. Sensitivity to light can be, can be changed by changing the ISO setting. Now, aperture and shutter, they, they make sense, don't they? The aperture is it's an opening in the lens, and the bigger the opening, the more light gets through. The smaller the opening, the less light gets through. That makes sense. Shutter speed. The longer the shutter speed, the more light is captured by the sensor. Makes sense. ISO doesn't make sense in any way, shape, or form, does it? The term doesn't make sense, and... Um, yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? It's a hangover, but I'll get on to that. Let's not cover it now, Rick. Let's not ad-lib too much. So let's summarise the important part here. The correct exposure. Well, what's that? A correct exposure records the correct range of lights and darks. Simple. Underexposed photos. With an underexposed photo, not enough light has got into the camera sensor. Got into? Not enough light has got to the camera sensor meaning that you've not recorded all the light at the dark end of things. That's the dark bits, the shadows. You cannot get this data back. You just can't. Overexposed photos. With an overexposed photo, too much light has got into the camera sensor, meaning that you've not recorded all the light at the light end of things. That's the light bits, the highlights. You cannot get this data back either. So if you haven't recorded it, you ain't recorded it, and that's it. So record it. What does it really mean? Well, with a correct exposure, you have captured as much of the lights and darks as you can. With an underexposed or overexposed photo, you have not captured all the light that you should have. You have missed some stuff that you should have captured. And that can't be a good thing, can it? It just can't. Why can't I capture everything that I see? You see, there's a technical problem with cameras. 
A camera cannot capture the same range of lights and darks in a single image capture as we can see with our own eyes. Yep, really. This is very relevant to exposure. The range of lights and darks, it's, it's also called the dynamic range. I quite like the term, it's range of light from light to dark. But in simple terms, sorry, <laughs> my script said that. In simple terms, this is the range of light from light to dark. See, I told you that's how I like to refer to it, but I'd just forgotten I'd written it in my script. The human eye can take in 18 to 20 stops of light. A modern camera can capture circa 12 to 14 stops of light. And my Canon 6D can capture around 10 stops of light. So that's about half of what I can see. Now, what's a stop of light? Well, I'm going to cover this in a, in a future episode, but I just want to explain that quickly here. A stop is a halving or doubling of light. Now, 18 to 20 stops doesn't really mean much, does it? But it's all relative. So the human eye, 18 to 20 stops. My Canon 6D, it records half of the light that I can see. That's rubbish, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'll talk about stops very briefly in a bit. There are some other terms which I'd like to just cover briefly. First one is exposure value. Exposure value is a term that goes back to the film days. You can calculate the exposure value using a formula. Now, have I ever done this? Nope, I have not. So <laughs> this is not something that we need to worry about, in my humble opinion, OK? So we can move on. But now the stuff that we do need to know. Let's quickly look at how you control the amount of light in an exposure and what the components of an exposure are. Aperture. The aperture is typically a metal bladed thing built into the camera lens. You can adjust the aperture size to allow more or less light in. There are other things that changing the aperture does, but I'll come on to them in a separate episode. Every camera, uh, so this is aperture specific stuff related to exposure. Every camera lens has a maximum and a minimum aperture. The maximum aperture is the smallest number, i.e. f2.8. The maximum aperture lets the most light in. So small aperture number equals large or wide aperture. I know it's, um, it's unfortunate that it ended up that way around because it's the wrong way around, isn't it? And there is also the minimum aperture, which is the largest number, i.e. f22. And the minimum aperture lets the least light in. So the minimum aperture is the largest number. Large aperture number equals small or fully stopped down aperture. Large, <laughs> large aperture number equals small aperture. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that they've done it this way around. If you were starting again now, you'd probably start with 1 to 10, wouldn't you? With 1 being the smallest and 10 being the biggest. That'd be like a metric linear thing, but... Oh no, we've got f2.8. I mean, what does f2.8 mean exactly? I've got no idea. And I nearly said then, I'm not going to lie to you, but I've stopped myself because <laughs> I shouldn't be saying that, should I? I mean, some of these some of these numbers and terms and relationships, they really don't help us, do they? And it's no wonder some people just use a phone and are happy because you don't have all this stuff to fathom out, do you? And yeah, there, there's much more to aperture, things such as depth of field, all that good stuff. But this is the bits I've covered which are related to exposure. And thinking about this on a phone, you probably can't change the aperture. If I can change the aperture on my iPhone, I really don't know how to. 
Moving on to shutter speed. Well, the camera shutter, this is in the body. When the shutter release button is pressed, the shutter moves, exposing the camera sensor to light. The shutter speed selected determines the length of time the camera sensor is exposed to light. A fast shutter speed lets less light. A fast shutter speed, you've got to be careful how you say that. A fast shutter speed lets less light in than a slower shutter speed. A fast shutter speed is, say, I don't know, one one thousandth of a second. Why did I say I don't know then? There's all mad libbing it when I'm reading it off a script. So a fast shutter speed, say, one one thousandth of a second. This is a short exposure. A faster shutter speed can be used to freeze moving things. But a slow shutter speed, about a second. Obviously, there's a shutter speed range. I'm just giving you broad examples here. I mean, this is also called long exposure. And... You can use a slower shutter speed to create motion blur, among, amongst other things. Again, there's more to shutter speed than just the exposure time, but this is the bit that matters when I'm talking about exposure. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Shutter speed open longer, more lighting. Shutter speed open less time, less lighting. And if you combine that with the aperture, large opening, more light, small opening, less light, you can see how the two can work together. So that's fine and it makes sense. And then we throw in ISO, an odd term, an odd name for a term. ISO in photography refers to the sensitivity of the camera sensor to light. This is very much a hangover to film days, and more on this in a separate episode. Not going to bore you with this one now. Boy, have I got a dull episode coming up. So ISO 100 is a low ISO, and you can use this in brighter conditions. ISO 3200 is a higher ISO and you can use this in less bright conditions. Again, I'm just giving you an idea of what the different numbers mean and how they can apply practically. But the higher the ISO used, the higher the risk of digital noise and other bad stuff. ISO is also known as ISO speed, which again is another hangover from film days. More on this in the episode all about ISO, which <laughs> I can't wait for that. I'm dreading it, trying to write an episode on ISO. How long's that going to be? That's going to be three minutes, and two minutes of that's just going to be all the stuff around the edges. It sounds dull, and I'm dreading it, but I'm going to do it. Back to important stuff. The exposure triangle. This is the relationship between the aperture, shutter speed, and ISO. The aperture and shutter determine how much light gets through to the camera sensor. ISO, the sensitivity of the camera sensor to light, determines how the sensor records the light. So you've got two things, two physical things, controlling the light that gets through to the sensor, and the sensitivity of the sensor is adjustable. So it's the three bits working together to give you a correct exposure. And the exposure triangle is definitely going to be a separate episode all of its own. I just, I want to do it proper justice. I want to give you some really good examples, practical examples, and that's going to take me time and and a lot of thinking too to get it right because it's the kind of thing I quite often do and mess up. Yeah, exposure triangle is very important, very, very important and related directly to exposure, so... Really don't want to give you half an answer here just to try and shoehorn something in. That won't be the right thing to do. I mean, is the exposure triangle complicated? Well, it is at first. It's one of those things. It sounds complicated, but when you get your head round it, just fine. It took me a while, but I got there. And I'll get you there as well with a future episode all about it. 
And once you understand the exposure triangle, it unlocks a load of possibilities photograph taking wise. Camera metering. Your camera has an incredibly sensitive, incredibly accurate light meter built into it. The camera meter measures the light that will be recorded on the camera sensor when you press the shutter release button halfway. This will determine how a correct exposure can be captured. Um, yeah, you, you can buy external light meters which are more accurate, but I've never had one though. I've, I actually looked into it once and I just, again, it's one of those things I thought I needed because somebody told me that I needed it. But I've been doing this for donkey's years and I've managed so far, so yeah. Well, if you want to get one, that's up to you, but I've never used one. Okay, so a bit on camera modes. This is all related stuff. So we've got aperture, shutter speed, and we've got ISO. So how do we use them? Well, if we use manual mode, we set them ourselves. You set the aperture, you set the shutter, you set the ISO. You press the shutter release button, the camera meter will tell you something that is how close you are to the correct exposure. And you can adjust the three settings to get to a correct exposure, or you can just do your own thing. Now, if you use a semi-automatic mode, we set two of these three settings and the camera does the other one for us according to the lighting conditions. I'll get on to what I do at the end in my, well, <laughs> what do I do section, not surprisingly. But if you use an automatic mode, the camera chooses all the settings for us. And there are, there are many, many different automatic modes which have got camera settings tailored to the subject matter being photographed. Okay, a few other exposure-related things. Well, that... Yeah, I've said this before, exposure is a big subject and an important subject. It, it clearly is. So there are more things I'm going to cover in upcoming episodes. And having, having listed all this little lot out, um, I'm now sorted with episodes until mid-August. <laughs> Mid-August, would you believe? I'm still in March here. So I've got titles for April, May, June, July, August. Fantastic. Hope I don't scare you off. So some of the other things I will be talking about in future episodes, which you might want to look into now while we're talking about and thinking about exposure. Histograms. Well, these are a visual representation of the light recorded in a photo. Histograms can be dead useful. I know people who use them all the time, and I also know people who've never used them. It's entirely up to you. What I want to do is make you aware of these things so you can find out more about them and find out if they work for you. I use them from time to time, not a lot, but I sometimes use the information when I'm processing. But being completely honest, I take most of my photos without checking a histogram, okay? Exposure compensation. This is a way of changing the camera settings very quickly to get the best exposure that you can. Now, I use this all the time. Bracketing is when you take more than one photo at a time using different camera settings, which you will combine later. Remember, we can't get the range of lights and darks in a single photo that we can see with our own eyes. Well, this can help. It can give us more data at both ends of the scale. And it's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's not. Bracketing or auto bracketing or auto exposure bracketing it's an, it's an excellent thing to do. I'd like to say it's an advanced technique, because I think it is, but I use it all the time, and it helps me. HDR, 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 oh dear. HDR is high dynamic range. I've mentioned dynamic range before in this episode. HDR is not a bad thing. It is just another thing, another thing that we can do to help us. 
and it's pretty much the same as bracketing and it has a bad press and if you say to people I use HDR they will, well, they could have a go at you. Stops. Yes, stops. Stops in photography. Yeah, another strange term in photography that I will explain and what I'm going to do is find out where the term came from because I don't know. But in a nutshell, I love that term. A stop is a halving or a doubling of light. You've got f-stop, stop, exposure stop, f-stop values, stops. All these terms, they're all one and the same thing. And I'm going to get to the bottom of this little lot once and for all, for all our sakes. And yep, there's some work for me to do on this one because um, I, <laughs> I need to get this one structured right to make sense. Okay, talk a bit over. What if I use a phone and not a camera? Well, with a phone, you don't have all the adjustments they have with a camera. Which is a good thing and a bad thing, depending on your point of view. And with a phone, you have all sorts of computations and electronic trickery available to you, which is a good thing and a bad thing, depending on your point of view. A phone will do a great job most of the time, but there are times when you need to do more. You need to change where the phone focuses on meters or use an app to help you. And that just gave me another idea. Another episode is born. I'll be in September before I know it. How do I get the correct exposure with my camera phone? Is that going to be, is that an episode's worth? I think it might be. So I'll add it to my list and another one that I'll need to do some work on, which is fine because it means I'm learning too. What if I use a film camera? Well, this is a new bit. What if I use a film camera? I've added this in as there are folks out there who are happily taking photos of film cameras. And I'm sure there are professional photographers out there still shooting with film cameras. So everything applies apart from one thing. You have to get things right the first time as you don't have the opportunity to take loads of photos and check them to see if you got things right. And then there is that fundamental difference. To change the ISO, you have to use a different camera film. Can you do this mid-roll? Well, I think you can, although I'm not 100% sure as I've not taken photos with a film camera for at least, I don't know, 20, 30 years. Certainly since digital came in. And am I going to go back to film? I don't know. I often think about this and debate it and then don't do anything about it because I, I really don't need another distraction in my life. I've got enough going on. But I am going to include this reference to film cameras in future episodes. Film cameras and film photography. Well, why not? Film photography is still just as valid as digital photography. So I'm going to do that. What do I do? Well, I use all of the above, but in my own way. First off, I put my DSLR camera on a tripod so I have automatically removed any issues with the shutter speed settings and do not need to worry about camera shake. I set the lowest ISO that I can, which is normally 100. I use AV mode, also known as aperture priority mode. The aperture setting I use is f8. I use auto bracketing and I compose a photo normally using a 17mm focal length. It's, I just like it, that's why. I focus, meter and then press the shutter button. The camera takes three photos using auto bracketing. The camera chooses the shutter speeds for the three exposures. I then merge each set of three photos together in Lightroom to give me one photo to edit. And that's what I do for pretty much every photo that I take. That is my thing, that is my workflow, those are the settings I use and it works for me. Just want to do some, some quick thoughts from the last episode which was called if you haven't heard it, why haven't you? Feel free to head back and listen to it after you've finished listening to this, of course. 
So last episode was how my one photo rule will help you take better photos. Hmm, my one photo rule. I mean, these these subjects, they're related, aren't they? And getting the exposure right is important and it will help you take better photos. All I want to say here about that last episode is that we photographers, we should all put our efforts into taking the best photos that we can. Well, of course we should. And with thought, time and care, we can do this. Time and care before you press the shutter release button, though, not after. Okay, next episode. Well, episode 154. How do I get the correct exposure? Well, it was going to be all about aperture, but I need to spend some proper time on this, and I couldn't get this all into one episode. But I'm going to do that, how I get the correct exposure. I might do the with my phone one. I might not. I'm not sure yet. And then I'll cover aperture, shutter speed and ISO because it just makes sense to. And then I'll pick up some of that other good stuff that takes me all the way into August. I mean, this is one of those subjects that really needs some time spending on it. And and I've enjoyed the, the evolution of this post into all these other ones. So we can we can go through exposure together and learn it properly together because I could keep on saying it's important. And there's, there's no point rushing this just to do it quickly because that won't help you. And now some stuff for you to do and a favour. Well, I changed this. I didn't like what I was saying. So this is the new bit. If you have a question you would like me to answer, just head over to Photography Expo... <laughs> How's going to get that wrong? Just head over to photographyexplainedpodcast.com forward slash start where you can find out what to do. <laughs> Or just say hi. It would be lovely to hear from you either way. Right, that's all. This episode was brought to you by, um, a, yeah, a cheese and pickle sandwich. Brown wholemeal roll this time. And a funny thing happened when I was eating it because I was, I was stood in the kitchen talking to my wife and I picked the roll out of the bag and had a bite of it and thought, that's not a very nice sandwich. And I realised I'd eaten the one with nothing in it that was in the bag and not the one that I'd made. Yes, my incompetence is a concern, isn't it? So a cheese and pickle sandwich in the end and a bag of ready salted crisps. All the salt and vinegar ones have gone. All washed down with a nice cold Diet Pepsi, which I consume before I settle down into my homemade acoustic cushioned recording emporium. Today's acoustic treatment is two pillows, two fleeces and a cashmere cardigan. Present from my wife and no cushion. I've been Rick McAvoy. Thanks again very much for listening to my small but perfectly formed podcast. It says here. And for giving me, oh, 27-ish minutes of your valuable time. Now, I think this episode will be about 24 minutes long after I've edited out about five minutes of rubbish. Take care, stay safe, cheers from me, Rick.